You're listening to AshCast, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation podcast. On Wednesday, February 14th, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation hosted a conversation on how political engagement is changing Europe with Ash Center faculty affiliate Muriel Royer and Francisco Galtieri, mid-career MPA 2017, a political candidate with the Italian political party, More Europe. Good noon, everyone. Thank you for being here, and bon appétit. Um, we are together today to uh, discuss um, an important question in European politics. How is political engagement changing in Europe? The rise of new political platforms. Uh, today with us is uh, Francesco Galtieri. I will introduce him uh, properly in a few minutes after I um, tell you a few words about this event. Um, so the recent and upcoming elections across Europe draw the attention of international public opinion due to the rise of populist movements and also to the appearance of new political platforms outside of the traditional parties' landscape. Something seems to be changing in the way uh, people engage in politics and traditional parties suffer an identity crisis in many countries. Um, Ciudadanos, Podemos in Spain, Syriza in Greece, La République En Marche in France, Alternative for Democracy in uh, Germany, the Five Star Movement, Cinque Stelle in Italy. All those parties were non-existent only a few years ago. Part of this change is due to the European integration, the construction of the EU, European Union, which is a transnational political entity uh, which constrains quite severely sovereign democracies and has recently started to polarize the debate on Europe between pro-European and anti-European parties. And that happened after many decades of what political scientists call permissive consensus during which Europe was quietly built behind closed doors by elites in Brussels. So this uh, is still uh, the case, but uh, what's new is that public opinions now have their say and often express a resounding no, as the Brexit illustrated, no to Europe, no to the elites that have built the Europe we know and has led us where we are now and where we are now for many Europeans is uh, the aftermath of uh, the worst economic and financial crisis of their history, austerity policies that ensued that crisis, refugee crisis of 2015, and um, immigration uh, which is experienced in Europe and represented by populist leaders as massive, uncontrolled. But the anti-immigrant rhetoric is by no means a monopoly of Italy and has been the trademark of all populist leaders and movements since the 90s in Europe. And it is increasingly becoming also the trademark of mainstream parties, such as the ÖVP, the Österreichs Volkspartei in Austria, whose young leader, Sebastian Kurz, won the national election with a very restrictive agenda on immigration. So on the background of such a landscape, it is indeed refreshing to hear that Europe is not only the land reviving the old demons of its past, but is also becoming a place for political innovation where uh, in several countries, citizens reclaim the democratic <coughs> ideal of participation and redefine through new political and technological means, the platforms, uh, the, the city, the police, and the policies they want. And they also keep their elites in check through these means. 
So with us today to discuss this exciting perspective is someone who is quite qualified to do so. Francesco Galcheri is an alum of the Kennedy School, MCMPA uh, 2017. Uh, he's also a former teacher, uh, teaching fellow on the course The Future of Europe last year. Mm -hmm. I saw him at my class on Europe also <laughs> the first time. Uh, Francesco worked for 16 years with the United Nations on democratic governance. And he left the UN after uh, the Kennedy School to move back to Italy and found a new political party. Uh, this party works on promoting constructing, um, constructive sorry, civic engagement against the rise of populisms. And in the next elections, which are actually coming up pretty soon in Italy. Three right? weeks. Mar yeah, March 4th. He is running on a pro-European platform called uh, More Europe. Uh, this platform is led by an an important character of Italian politics. Um, Emma Bonino, who is a historical leader of the radical party. Radical in Italy is quite specific. You'll probably go back to that, but it's some, some, somewhat towards the left and pretty innovative party. And, uh, yeah, very interesting party. And so Emma Bonino is also a former EU commissioner and a former Italian minister of foreign affairs. Um, so it is an exciting adventure, especially um, in Italy, uh, who, which is a country known for a long time for its malgoverno and uh, for its a bit hectic <laughs> political landscape. Uh, but part of this you know, uh, movement is also very positive and interesting. So Francesco, uh, tell us more about this new adventure. And um, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to let you maybe tell us exactly you know, what you're doing. What is it that you're mm -hmm. doing? How is your new party called? What, what it does? What, what are your goals? And then maybe I'll you know, prompt you with a few questions, uh, if necessary, but I'm sure people will have many questions. Thank you, Francisco. Thank you very much, Muriel. Merci. Uh, so first of all, thanks uh, to all for being here. Uh, it's a pleasure after only eight months to pop, to pop up again at the Ash Center. Uh, there has been also um, a, a place of reference for my year here at, uh, at HKS um, because I came to HKS on a sabbatical for my UN job exactly to make the decision whether I wanted to continue working on democracy with the UN and, you know, in post-conflict countries primarily where I dedicated 16 years of my life or whether I wanted to choose a different type of crisis. There was a crisis my country was going through and uh, my second community of reference that is a European uh, reference. Uh, I'm probably among, you know, we are probably among the, the last ones as generations who were born without uh, European citizenship and then uh, overnight in 1992 we turned into European citizens in addition to being citizens of our own uh, countries. Um, and so it's something probably that since we have acquired at a certain point, we don't want, we don't want to lose. Um, so uh, when, when I saw a few years ago, you know, Italy reaching a 42% of youth unemployment and uh, some of those uh, parameters that to me were more of a reference of my developing country world, uh, I realized that as a citizen I had, um, you know, a binary choice, turning my head elsewhere and feeling still you know, good that I was working for developing countries and for conflict resolution far from home, or just you know, overstepping the, oh, you know, if only somebody else, uh, and being part of the somebody else's who would engage in politics. Um, with a few friends, we identified what we found being the greatest problem in Italy in terms of uh, engage, democratic engagement. There was the 
basically the breach of the social contract among citizens. And we decided that that social contract needed to be built back on economic rights and the future of labor. And that's when we founded Movimenta, that is this party that we launched in June last year. But at the same time, we wanted to avoid to be completely self-referential vis-a-vis the existing political landscape of the traditional parties. And so we looked around and we said, you know, in our area of reference, it was pretty much, a, you know, a center-left progressive area of reference. What history can we connect with and start a sort of a contamination process? Because it's not that everything from the past was trash and, and you know, was, was to be discarded. Uh, and having met Emma Bonino in our previous experience as, uh, you know, in association and in our civic engagement, we went to talk to Emma. And she said, you know, guys, I'm happy that you're doing what you're doing. I encourage you to do that. But I'm a radical. I'm going to stay a radical for the rest of my life. And so you're happy, you know, you're welcome to uh, establish a contamination journey with us because we will definitely need some of your energy and your experience. But we are not going to give up our history. And their history was a history of direct democracy because the Radical Party in Italy has hardly uh, scored above 4.2% in its history with the exception of the European election in 99, when they got close to 9% after the tenure of Emma Bonino as a EU commissioner for fishery and humanitarian aid. Somebody has to <laughs> help us connect. EU policies. Exactly. Uh, but beyond that, you know, it's always been a 4% party. But at the same time, it was the party that brought uh, the law on abortion in Italy, the, the law on divorce, promoting it through referenda. And so they've been, even before the Five Star Movement, the direct democracy party. And we found that probably trying to connect that direct democracy experience with their uh, recognition that still you need to work through the institutions and articulate that in new forms of engagement that are not the traditional sections of the party and so on could sparkle an interesting experience. Um, and then, you know, while we had established a couple of very specific moments and a few topics we wanted to... Uh, uh, work on together around you know, the future of labor, the impact of technology on, uh, on the labor market and so on, and how to use direct democracy to engage citizens on that platform. Elections came up uh, with one of the dirtiest uh, maneuvers in the Italian malgoverno that was changing the electoral law uh, three, months, three and a half months before election um, in agreement between Berlusconi and Renzi, our outgoing prime minister at the time, um, who had lost a, ref a constitutional referendum against, you know, his own uh, egomaniac Putin, <laughs> uh, the referendum as a poll about himself rather than about the substance of it. And so, you know, Berlusconi and Renzi agreed on this funky electoral law uh, whereby we elect one-third of parliament on a first-past-the-post system and two-thirds on a purely proportional system, but with block lists, things that even political scientists yeah, have a <laughs> hard time to understand. And so Emma Bonino, who's a stubborn woman, uh, despite being a petite and uh, just coming out of a, of a very uh, rough cancer journey last year, uh, that's why she's wearing a scarf, and that's that has become her symbol, so to say, uh, decided that you know, she has been fighting ever since the 70s, and she's going to keep fighting for uh, bringing common sense into democracy. And she said, you know, guys, let's not complicate our lives. We need to find a new divorce or the new abortion of the 21st century. Something that my grandfather can understand, that your grandparents can understand, is not going to be a complicated platform. What do we stand for? More Europe. Why? Because more Europe doesn't mean more European bureaucracy. More Europe means more rights 
a greater space for innovation and research, European citizenship, we only have to stand for a, a, a stronger Europe of citizens and denounce every time governments blame Europe for decisions they are making. Because, you know, in the European Union, we dec governments decide by consensus, so everyone can make a reservation and stay out of any decision. Uh, you've said many very interesting mm -hmm. things, and I would like you to um, to highlight them and really because I'm not sure our audience knows the details of you know Italian European yeah. politics. But so relating to what you just said, um, I would like so first of all, I think Italy has always benefited from for, from Europe for a long time before the migration crisis. Now it's a bit unclear, you know. But um, I think it's important that, that you situate well Emma Bonino, who is really a force of progress in, in Italy and within the European system. So already what you're saying and what you're doing is in stark contrast with another innovative movement that I would like you to um, contrast yourself with mm -hmm. a bit more, which is the Cinque Stelle movement. Yeah. Because basically, you both have this platform idea. And what exactly is a platform. You know, uh, Cinque Stelle was last year here. They were invited to mm -hmm. give a talk on how innovative they were. And they are actually quite innovative because they also created this, this tool, which is a, a, an online platform to collect the wills of the citizens and to uh, basically uh, redefine politics at the citizen level. So one important question I have for you is to ask you how you contrast yourself from this also new yeah. political platform, okay? And, uh, and be specific maybe about the, the, the policy issues that you really drastically disagree on with them. And what is exactly is your novelty? How does it work? You know, is, is there an online tool? Is this technology versus ideology? Or are these, you know, ideas that were existent in the Italian political system but not so active because the system is very blocked for mm -hmm. historical reasons. It's a very complex political system yeah. where the left has always been extremely intricated with strange bedfellows, yeah. to uh, put it uh, this way. So what is your originality? How do you depart from Cinque Stelle? And um, that would be good. I think that there are um, three key areas of difference. One is in terms of values. One <laughs> the other one is in terms of the political agenda. And the third one is in terms of the tools we use and what we mean by engagement and how we, we aim at engagement. Uh, when it comes to values, uh, the Cinque Stelle movement is strongly against Europe. They have been running around until very recently with the idea of promoting a referendum to get out of the Euro, uh, to turn back to the Italians first type of agenda, uh, even if the, you know, being um, a demagogic movement beyond the populist, there is this demagogic attempt of telling people what they like to hear. And so they've been nuancing their messaging in order to capture the audience and the consensus. So in terms of values, we are already probably comparing uh, the, the Radicali and Emma Bonino with a very stubborn, coherent agenda. This is what I stand for since the 70s, and even if it's going to take 30 years, we're going to get there. Versus as what do you want to hear today? I'm going to model what you want to hear today and following the mood of the day. So rationalism probably versus you know, voting with a, with a belly. Um, in terms of, uh, of uh, the substance and the agenda, there are, you know, the, the Five Star Movement uh, supports the, the, the movement against vaccination of, of, of babies. Uh, they are against the European integration. They are against the euro. Um, they are against a number of things. They, they are 
um, in, in favor of increasing the public expenditure to an extent that a country with 132% of a public debt over its uh, GDP cannot afford. Uh, and so it's definitely an agenda that even when you look at how implementable it is, we don't find it realistic. So, so would you say that they are the populists? I think they have a component of populism and a component of demagogy in the current landscape. And they are probably the most populist movement together with the League North when we identify populism as a uh, as a, a, you know, a political organization that tries to articulate most of its narrative uh, over a us and them type of, uh, of, uh, of uh, confrontation. When it, come then, when it comes to the, then the, the tools and the platform, uh, you know, we believe that the basis of engagement should still be a face-to-face -face direct engagement. Through the instruments of direct democracy that we have, the referendum, the citizen initiative laws, and so, which is still working through the institutions. And then you, you, you engage people face to face and you use the new technology to scale that engagement. On the contrary, the Five Star Movement so far with their platform Rousseau, what they've been showing is that they think that, that direct democracy should go through exclusively platforms. Unfortunately, they have a private company that is managing the access, the um, so is controlling the platform to a point that a, a certain, after a few months after the launch of the platform, uh, they, it, it became impossible to register if you wanted to participate. Because they would say, you know, they would send you back and ask to come back, it was not possible, something was not working and so on. And so they, you know, they choose, for example, their candidates through the platform. And then, but then suddenly you find people who get like 10 likes in their district to become members of parliament in a district of 60,000 people. And so you wonder how much that is really direct democracy when. If you want to register on the platform, it's as hard as uh, you know, climbing the Kilimanjaro. And then uh, you have these people who become, uh, become candidates only because they pass the 10 people like on Facebook. So this is the danger of tainting up uh, you know, the use of technology for direct democracy. And lately, they had a huge scandal about the uh, uh, the, the cyber ins total cyber insecurity of the platform when it comes to uh, access to the, to the private data and data privacy of the, the members on the platform. And the last point, which is not to forget, is that the moment Beppe Grillo, the comedian who started this five-star movement, uh, introduced a, a, this political blogging after he had been kind of ostracized by the, the, the television in Italy, uh, that blog was created as a redirecting a space for advertisement to the company that nowadays manages the Rousseau. Mm -hmm. So the five-star direct experience, direct democracy experience, started as an advertisement redirected business between a comedian out of business and the, and the private uh, web company, which is the furthest thing away from democracy. And the cherry on the cake is that elected people from the five-star movement sign a private contract with this company that if they vote against the position of the movement, they have to pay a fine of 140,000 euros, which is totally unconstitutional. You know, a, a person sitting in an elected office who commit with a private company to self-fine him or herself for not following the instruction from the party when it's a constitutional principle in Italy that elect people sitting in elected offices <coughs> have no uh, allegiance to their party. They only respond to their constituency. So if this is direct democracy, we have to start wondering. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're 
you're very, you're quite different. And so you in, entrain yourself in the existing institutional landscape and you are uh, like a, a new party, but a party like the others, mm -hmm. rooting in the, I mean, taking root in the Italian political system. Um, so how is, um, how do you think, if I may ask, uh, and maybe that will bring us to talk a bit about the complicated history of compli complicated political landscape in Italy. How do you think you are going to take root in this complex system when even, you know, a kind of a very mainstream social democrat leader such as Renzi, who had great ambitions and who also was in Harvard two years ago and did great demonstration of its um, political ambition. You know, he was to renew the vision of Europe uh, through an Italian lens. He was to conquer Italy. And this has <coughs> failed miserably. And he is uh, now up for a grand coalition with uh, Berlusconi in the next election. And so this might seem very exotic to people who don't know the details of Italian uh, politics. But, you know, maybe with a bit of perspective, how do you see your chances of success in such a crowded, complex, uh, congested political system? I think that our chances of success um, lay out in a mid to long term strategy. There is no shortcut to regain people trust almost one by one. Uh, the, the objective we have for the next election is bringing some, member, some members of parliament into parliament for the sake of being present in the institutions because while we recognize that democracy is made by the engagement of people outside of the institutions, institutions then become the space where those voices are represented. And therefore, we have no illusion, no ambition of becoming a 51% party. There's another difference with the five-star movement. They say they are only going to, to, to make a government by themselves. And so for that, they have to wait until they become the single party, single majority party in a, in a Western democracy. We haven't seen much of that ever since the 20s. Um, and so for us, that success is bringing a small group of members of parliament back into parliament, but then keeping on focusing on engaging people through the use of direct democracy uh, tools. We have those. Some of them need to be renewed. We should overcome the fact that to present a, uh, a referendum, you still need uh, to collect signatures, at, uh, you know, hand signatures at the present of a certifier, as we used to do in the 19th century. No, we need to get over that because platforms and the new technologies can increase the capacity of the use of those institutional, legal, direct democracy uh, tools. That's fundamental. <laughs> and then, at the same time, when it comes to the pro-European agenda, be a little bit the hacker of an anti-European political narrative. You know, even Renzi, with whom we have now uh, made an agreement on the one-third uh, first-past-the-post districts, we are running, uh, uh, supporting joint candidates for that one, one, one third of the seats while we are running separately on the two thirds and abroad. Why? Because we, of course we want primarily to leave the populace and the comeback of uh, 83 years old Berlusconi uh, uh, as a leader of a, of a government, of a coalition government. So our first goal in terms of priority is leaving the populace, the right wing, again, you know, against the anti-Europe outside of leading government. Secondly, we want, though, to influence the agenda of the center-left. So 
from one side, we are supporting in the majoritarian districts the center-left common candidates, but then in order to do that, Emma Bonino negotiated hard for Berlus with Renzi to bring back a pro-European agenda at the center of the common coalition uh, program if we end up in government together. She's fighting strongly for a reform of the immigration law because we are putting on the shoulders of Europe and the migrants the incapacity of our government in six years to manage the arrival of 130,000 people every year, of which 30,000 remain in Italy. So we are talking of a 60 million inhabitants country who cannot absorb 30,000 people every year. That's pretty funny, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's uh, just uh, pause here because, again, you've said many interesting, important things. So uh, first, I, I, I hear, and I like this, you know, I'm an institutionalist, and institutions do matter. And what you're saying is no fancy technological gadget. We're going to work within the system, and the Italian system is good enough because it, it offers direct democracy tools. So uh, to repeat with you, the um, in popular initiative uh, referendum. Citizen initiative yeah. laws and the popular initiative referendums. All right, uh, and that's it, basically. Right? Yeah. That, that's the two tools that the radical party used and which made its fortune to bring very progressive uh, issues on the agenda and pass them, actually, mm -hmm. in Italy. So it's interesting because, uh, you know, you really revive the trust into democratic institutions. Those institutions exist. Um, and so uh, the thing is that in Italy, uh, one of the reproach that was addressed to the radical was precisely to use too much energy, too much public money to organize those uh, referendums uh, for little, um, finally, political gain. Um, so my question is, um, like, if you were to put one or two important questions on the referendum agenda, and oftentimes it's local or it's national? It's it's most of the time it's national. This, yeah, this okay. past year there's been the first local referendum um, engagement for the, ra for okay. the radicals. So, but I mean, and the, one of the latest referendum also caused the, the defeat of Renzi. So, you know, it's, it's a kind of a paradoxical tool. But since you trust this tool, maybe you handle it with care, maybe with the more care than Renzi did. Uh, what would you put on the agenda for a referendum uh, soon, if you were to do that? And how would you handle the campaign? I mean, I think it's... A, it's well, currently, I mean, last, it's pretty interesting. In the last, uh, in the outgoing legislature, the radicals have no single member of parliament for the first time since 72. And though it has been the most successful period for them to engage citizen on referenda and citizen initiative um, because they focused most of their attention on that and you know so they were very successful to collect the signature for a citizen initiative to change the immigration law it's called Ero Straniero which now obliges the new parliament to schedule that discussion as one of the first bills they're going to discuss when they convene after the 23rd of March and meanwhile, we are also collecting signatures for a referendum to reform the direct democracy instruments mm -hmm. and include the use of technological platforms to make it easier for citizens to sign up and align actually with the sta current standards of the European citizen initiatives. Yes, that was my next question. Exactly. Yes. So the, the attempt of a, of a political grouping that is called More Europe is to connect citizenship at all levels where it happens within Europe. So, you know, municipal referenda, national referenda, 
and European citizens' initiatives. So it's making sure that engagement happens outside of elections. And that is probably where then these direct democracy tools can find, can become the fabric of the continuity of engagement along a legislature that is not competing, but is concurring and collaborating with the work that parliaments do as the holders of the legislative power. Yes. And so again, an interesting question, the term that you used, um, um, the European Citizens Initiative. It's a very interesting policy tool which offers um, uh, European citizens of different countries, seven, seven. seven across Europe, so it's a transnational tool to uh, ask the Commission to uh, legislate on an issue that they deem important. So it is a really interesting tool of transnational direct democracy. Although I'm working on this now, and I must say that it's <laughs> very few initiatives have been started, even fewer uh, successful. Um, so you, you probably because this you know, large frame of politics is very hazy and unfamiliar to people, and so it, it falls onto movements like yours who know well politics at the national level and also at the bigger level, bigger scale, to make the connection between the citizens of nations and the big democracy that we are actually building in Europe. Through I, I think that the reflection there is that, at least in Western Europe, but I think this applies to many Western democracies, we are coming out of roughly 100, 120 years of uh, traditionally ideology-based or value-based party structures that used to be the transmission belt between those who propose themselves as leaders of a society towards a vision and then those who would uh, act and engage and commit at a, at a lower level. So I think that what we are trying to do now that that transmission belt is broken, as the French election demonstrated, you know, a movement created at least more energy. Then, you know, one could wonder whether with or without the, the scandal of the Republicans, Macron would have won. But in any case, Macron's march created a sense of energy that was new to the traditional party. And so the Five Star Movement has done in Italy, and we can look at other, you know, at the Ciudadanos or... Uh, um, you know, the other movements elsewhere in Europe, independently from their agenda. So I think that what we are trying to navigate now as, uh, you know, new politicians, people who are new into politics, and many of us come from the civil society experience, or politicians like the radicals who sp always spent more time in face-to-face -face engagement and signature collection than in, uh, in running for elections, uh, we are trying to navigate in this shifting of, on how engagement is organized. Mm -hmm. Before it used to be much more vertical, also because the level of education was lower, education and literacy were lower, and so the, 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 the trust uh, leaders benefited of was much higher. Nowadays, a single citizen will challenge every candidate on everything because they read it on Google. Uh, and so unless there is this sense of rebuilding engagement on small initiatives, on talks on specific topics and so on, and for that probably a more fluid organizational structure like a movement that uses new technology is a, is a better fit. Mm -hmm. uh, unless we do that, traditional parties probably uh, are failing on that side. And I would like to say when it comes to the uh, Democratic Party in Italy and Renzi, um, 
Renzi failed as a sec, in my view, as a secretary of the Democratic Party more than he failed as a prime minister. His government has been doing pretty good things, has been carrying Italy out of the crisis. One could question the choice around short-term measures versus if could have taken measures with a longer-term vision and so on. But what is interesting about the Renzi's phenomenon is that he lost roughly, that's what polls now say, roughly 18% of, uh, of political support. Because in the last uh, European elections, the, the Democratic Party got to 40% of support, and now it's around 22.4%. Simply on the way uh, he managed, as a secretary of the party, because beyond being a prime minister, he was a secretary of the party, the way he managed the transmission belt, he, he has been unable to... Uh, lead the transformation of a party that was building on the old communist party structure, so neighborhood sections, the small offices, the activists, and so on. He lost all of that uh, without building the alternative, more contemporary movement style of engagement. So you know, beyond then the different electoral programs and platforms, what I find interesting as somebody who's been working on democracy for a while and as a political modest political scientist, is this transformation uh, in the middle of which we are trying to measure ourselves. So we are using old tools. There are the typical elections, the electoral laws, majoritarian proportion, and everything all tools for a society that has changed, and we don't have the benefit to close our institutions for inventory until we redesign something else. Mm. Question from a French person. Um, so Cinque Stelle has their platform, their online platform. Uh, Macron had his uh, march, which preceded uh, the election, and for more than a year he was actually you know, sending young volunteers uh, in the country, uh, marching to the encounter of people, and talking to the people of, about what was going wrong in France. And he collected those feelings of discontent among the French people. And I can tell you, I, I was there uh, in two, two years ago. And it, it's true, France was unhappy. There was a heavy discontent. There was the feeling that something has got to change. And he captured that through this you know, movement that is maybe not entirely new. The, the, the shape or the form of movement is not new in French politics, but he organized it in a very effective way, also with techniques from the US, canvassing. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and many of the HKS students actually work for him. So it's really a very young, uh, modern movement. He's the new French Kennedy. So uh, what, is your, what is your trademark? What, what is your touch? What is the movimenta touch? What is your clientele or your, you know, pro typical profile? What is the typical member of Movimenta? And how do you do you hope actually to trigger a wave a bit like the Macron wave, or yeah. you think it's uh, something different to be invented, and you don't necessarily refer to Macron? Because Macromania is the big disease in Europe these days. I can tell you. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, Emma Bonino always says, let's not forget he's the president of France, and he hasn't given up that job yet. Um, to become we the president of Europe. We haven't fired him yet. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that there is an element in common that is the, the narrative whereby if you want something, you have to commit, and part of what happens is your responsibility. Because, of course, the movement form was not a new form. No. But after many years of politicians saying, this is what I offer, I'll take care of it if you vote for me, Macron was one of the first ones to say, people, you know what, you better do something. We have to march. 
we have to do things, because otherwise they're not going to happen. And so that I think many of us start having in common. So even in Movimenta, the typical profile is of the citizen who has decided that democratic representation is different from a full delegation of authority. Representing means that you represent me in that institution. Meanwhile, I am an active citizen in my town, in my neighborhood, and so I also have things to do for democracy. It's not that I only show up every five years and then I can rest in peace because somebody else is representing me. And so I think that we have in common in Movimenta, because the rest, we have a wide span of age, a wide span of education and background, a wide geographical distribution across Italy. Uh, and we are much, much less homogenous than the radicals are. The radical community we have found, they are very homogenous and very close. What do you mean homogenous, like ethnically speaking? No, no, in terms of the, of the profile, they are all activists, militants, who started when they were 16 years old who pick one battle. For example, the radical party style is one battle at a time. Mm -hmm. So now with, with more Europe, for them, is just like one battle. And as our contribution, because so more Europe is this now common parties running for elections, but it's made of three different political parties or organizations. The radicals, who I always say are the major stakeholders, because they come with 50 years of history. As in Movimenta, we were born eight months ago, but we bring a large network and a different energy. And then an, a political association called uh, Hooray Europe, Forza Europa. Um, and so each of us is taking a different thing, and it's taking a little while to adapt to each other as well, because really the radicals are the single battle, one battle at a time, one fight at a time style. While what we are trying to propose is an agenda for the country through the lens of economic rights and the future of labor. But still it's an agenda that takes into account everything a country needs to do, not one thing at a time. And so uh, that is where we are less homogenous because we have people who believe that you need to take into account the contribution that culture, education, training brings to the future of labor and the economic rights, mm -hmm. not one thing at a time. So your, your political agenda is really what unifies you? Yes, then I would say in, uh, definitely the values, the value of participation, of responsibility. Uh, so what we have in common with the radicals, we always said, are the values and the methods, not necessarily the topics. The topics, we are defining them together. But values are the social liberal values whereby everyone should be enabled to compete for his own emancipation, provided he or she has given chances, education that is public, and whoever falls in that competition, the society has a responsibility to take them up and put them back into running and compete. So there is the liberal side of competition for self-emancipation, but then there is also the social awareness that we stand here together as a community. So those values are together. The tools are the ones we spoke about, mm -hmm. the direct democracy and the institutional presence. And then the topics, it's, a, it's an internal and extremely animated debate of hours and hours. The average board meeting of Pure Europa lasts four hours every time. Uh, so, exactly. Now, and the last element I would like to mention in all of this that I think has been common to Anne Marsh, inherited uh, directly from the Ash Center and Marshall Gantz, uh, <laughs> I would say, story of whom I am also an adept, um, you know, so beyond uh, uh, a supporter, um, is the is when calling for people responsibility and participation, investing in accompanying those people to develop capacities to do so. 
And so it's true that a marsh, in order to push the elections, deployed people, accompanied, building the new, uh, you know, technologies and everything. But since the past four months, they are putting online the tool for community activities. They are organizing local trainings to help people learn how to do engagement beyond how to engage. And for us, it's a little bit the same, the same effort within Movimenta. Right, yeah. And I will you know, end our time and then sure. open to the floor with the last question. This, I think it, uh, for, uh, for an Italian, it, it resonates in a specific way. I remember, and you will correct me, a uh, text by Leonardo Piaccia, mm -hmm. uh, who used to write about self Italy and the, the kind of laziness, the pigrezza that prevents basically democracy from blossoming. So I see in your sense of responsibility a call against that form of apathy that was exploited by, by populist leaders such yeah. as Berlusconi, who you mentioned it's not a full delegation of power. We, we retain some of our critical judgment, and it relies, of course, on education, on higher levels of education. And I see that it's a, it's a nice trend, I think, for uh, Italian democracy to get out of this pigrezza, this laziness, which has, you know, uh, drawn the, the, the country back and into, you know, dictatorship in the past, and it's, it's um, yeah. I, I think, you know, well, I think that we, uh, and we should all be mindful that Berlusconi's slogan, the first time he ran in, Mil in, in the dialect from Milan, which was Gepensi Mi, which means, I'm going to take care of it. Exactly. So he ran a campaign telling people, don't engage, just vote for me, I'm going to take care of it. Yeah. How the responsible, you know, yeah. I don't know whether in English the word exists, de-responsabilizing, <laughs> but how much, you know, of taking away the responsibility of an individual and a citizen is that all about? And then you have the south of Italy that has been uh, living centuries over the uh, feudal system whereby you had the owner of the land who would take care of all the people, the peasants, who would work. So this idea that somebody takes care of you and your well-being and we will call on you only when you have to help, but otherwise we are in charge really feeds into that sense of uh, mm -hmm. entitlement because it's not only, it's laziness matched with sense of entitlement. Because the debates I'm doing now with some of the Italian citizens, even in this district that is abroad, is calling upon members of parliament as trade unionists. What are you going to do for us? Mm -hmm. What the heck? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to sit in parliament. It's a national parliament, by the way. I'm not only representing you. Uh, and so uh, we need to get out of that. Uh, and, and the greatest challenge, Muriel, I find, is that we have lost the sense of mission, at least as Western Europe, or as Europe, that we had after the Second World War, that was reconstruction. If you ask today what do our societies stand for in terms of the of a mid to long term vision, we have no clue. That's why we choose across menus of solution. A little more uh, VAT here, a little less uh, labor tax there. But what's the vision? We say the vision is the United States of Europe to try, in the, of course, in the sense of Altiero Spinelli and, and the Schumann and Adenauer that is different from the United States of America or even the Canadian federal system. But it's a light federalism, right? But at least we are trying to bring back that sense of vision that goes beyond choose the menu you like the most. And what I find dangerous, I was talking about, uh, about this this morning with Amy Davis, who's the director of alumni here, is that you know, sh history so far has shown us that that sense of purpose always comes after a major shock, a revolution. 
or a moment of violence? War. War. Are we going to be able, since we live in a society with a, you know, a much higher rate of education, literacy, the new technologies, a greater connection, greater horizontal bonds, are we going to be able to design that vision and change without going through a war? It's everybody's bet. All right. So let's end on that bet and open the floor to the audience. Thank you very much, Francesco. I'll collect a few questions. Yes, one here, one there. So, ma'am, please, or yeah. Well, you hardly yes, yeah. you do. You you hardly mentioned uh, issues of immigration, which are a crisis in Italy, and are only going to get worse with uh, climate change over the next 20 to 40 years. So that sort of surprised me. But I understood you to stay in this. I'm speaking for at a great distance. I mean, I'm here. But my perspective is, uh, you said that Italy could not absorb 30,000 migrants in one year. Why not? Italy Italy's demo, uh, is demographically uh, moribund. Italy needs people. And these people want to come. They have a lot of initiatives that want to cross the, uh, the, cross the Mediterranean into the unknown. So uh, I'm just wondering why you're not dealing more directly with that issue and not being more welcoming. Uh, people who want want to come to Italy, want to live there. I mean, you have uh, whole towns in uh, the south that are they're ghost towns. All right. Okay. Um, uh, let's yeah, take a few, and then yeah, I, okay. I promise Thank I will answer. May I ask your name, Maiden, please? Amelia. Amelia. Hi, uh, Henning. Hey, can uh, you introduce yourself yeah, briefly? Yes, I'm. Citizen. I'm. Uh, I'm Henning. Uh, also, last year's mid-career, and I'm very, very proud and pleased to see that Francesco's. Not just talking about us, but throwing himself right in there and really and really doing it. So it's it's uh, fantastic to see that. I I, uh, I have the the core question that I have is is on your last point, which is around the big vision. And my my fear is, and I, I'm a strong supporter of Europe, and 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 I think for me this is something that's very important. What I'm not sure is is that what really drives people is. If we're looking at, at creating a, a movement uh, or, or having you know, movements that are responsive to where people are, don't we have to build our vision based on where they are? And, and I, I don't know whether Europe is strong enough for that. So I'm going to first go to Amelia's questions about immigration. Of course, I mean, immigration for us is extremely important. Now, the interesting bit to me is that, as I was mentioning, last year we got 140,000 immigrants, of which 35,000 remained in Italy. Nobody mentions that 250,000 Italians left Italy. 250,000, the double the number of immigrants. So beyond being a moribund country when it comes to demographics, we even have, we lose uh, people like, you know, and it's not only brain drain, it's people are simply going to look for a job. Now, why aren't we able to uh, then uh, integrate those migrants? It's because of fear. And that is where the Five Star Movement, the League North narratives are criminal narratives. They are bringing back the feelings of who's superior to whom. And we should fight against that without much philosophy about it just as stubbornly as some of us or some of our parents and grandparents have done in the past. There is a, a great system to absorb and integrate 
migrants that we have in Italy, it's called the Sprar, that envisages that every community of 1,000 Italians should integrate two migrants. Out of the 8,000 mayors across Italy, only 2,000 accepted this. And so, of course, they have a higher ratio than 2 to 1,000 because the other mayors decided not to, and the central government, since they know that this is an extremely unpopular measure, they didn't insist. Now, there is, a, there is this saying from the former and uh, you know, um, uh, regretted leader of the radical party in Italy, Marco Pannella, who used to say that, uh, and you know, I've never been a radical myself, but I'm learning some of these things and they make, they make a lot of sense to me. Panella used to say that sometimes politicians have to be unpopular in order not to become anti-popular. Mm -hmm. And so the responsibility of uh, Renzi and the social democratic leadership is that in order not to lose votes with some unpopularity, they've become anti-popular, which is making them losing votes because nobody's better populist than a populist. Mm -hmm. If you are a non-convinced populist trying to sing along the same song, you know, it's like Renzi offered this 80 euros bonus to the families during his government. Berlusconi is coming back with 1,000 of a new pension retirement. You cannot compete with people on, on their strengths. And so immigration is, uh, and, and what we try to say, and that's why as a uh, more Europe, we are called the pro-invasion party. That's what our, they, they call us the pro-invasion party. Simply because we are saying there is half a million of illegal migrants in Italy who though have been working on the black market for over three years at least with the same employer. And we are saying, let's legalize them. They are part of our economic system. It's only that if they are in the black market, they don't pay taxes. And Berlusconi say, no, we are going to repatriate each one of them, half a million people, not even if you, if you take the whole Delta Airlines fleet, in addition with the fact that where you send those people, those governments have to accept them. So they have to allow them to disembark. Let's forget about it. Um, and so th this is currently the point of contention. We are talking, we have a clear proposal. There is a citizen initiative on which we were requested, required to collect 50,000 signatures. We collected 95,000 because there are still reasonable people across the country. And interestingly so, was the signatures were collected by a coalition of the Catholic Association and the Radicals. So like uh, yeah. the devil and the holy water, uh, as we say. And so, you know, there is a, a clear awareness from part of us that migrants are part of our future, also because a country like Italy knows that migration is a natural phenomenon. It becomes a problem if you don't, if you don't manage it. But it's a, we send abroad millions of people. And of course, on the climate change agenda, I have to say that uh, in Italy it's felt a little bit as a less of an issue because there is a great respect for the land. And uh, so it's not controversial. We don't have deniers of climate change or... We have, we have uh, local administrators and politicians who are a little more proactive and pragmatic on the agenda and those who are more shy on it, but it's not a big issue. I come quickly to Henning's question. Uh, you know, is it Europe what really drives people? Not today. We believe it's what it needs to become. With that sense of um, awareness that each citizen can feel we belong to several communities. I feel as much as a part of my town community as I feel Italian, as I feel European, at each level for what it means to be, to me, and for what I expect that to bring to me. So we are saying that for Europeans, Europe should be the broader stage of reference when it comes to the 
uh, when it comes to rights, when it comes to opportunities and so on. And then still participation needs to happen at the, at the more local level on the local issues and the national level for the national issues. And the, through the European Citizen Initiative, when it comes to European issues, such as migration, migration should become a European issue. That's why we are taking this proposal of the uh, reform of the immigration law that for which we have been successful in collecting the signatures in Italy. We have now built a coalition across 10 countries because we want to make exactly on the same standards a European citizen initiative. Yeah, may I just address your question as well as a you know, European and professor of European politics. Uh, don't forget the impact of history uh, in, in Europe. Uh, Italy you know, has suffered a dictatorship <coughs> during the war and was very, very happy to be saved by Europe from its own demons. So democracy, uh, prosperity come from Europe. In it, the southern countries of Europe have for a long time before austerity and before little mishaps of the Euro crisis, but they were extremely pro-European, uh, confident in the modernization that Europe can bring to uh, their country. And um, you've seen that in the result of the French election. We have the memory of, uh, you know, uh, proactive fascists in our country. And the fascists are still out there in Italy. Uh, so it, it really plays a role that maybe, you know, has not played out uh, with the election of uh, Trump here in this country. Uh, but, but Europe is a force of modernization. And again, if no... Um, leader instrumentalizes this uh, the wrong way, it can actually be uh, put to work the right way, like Macron did, or like Renzi was hoping to do. And so, I don't know if you're the next uh, Renzi, the successful Renzi. I, do, I uh, don't believe in a one-man or one-woman show business no, one in politics. <laughs> Good. Yes, uh, and yes. Hi, my name is Cecilia. I'm also a mid-career colleague of Francesco. And I think that the, the election we are running is very interesting and very original because Italy has this kind of representant uh, in many countries around the world that actually would be represented in, the people will be represented in the, in the Italian uh, Congress, Parliament. So I would like maybe to explain the audience how that works because it's very different to many other countries in Europe and around the world. Like me, I'm able to vote. I'm an Italian, but I was not born there. My great-grandparent was both there, but actually I'm able to vote. So I think that's very original and peculiar, if you want to share with the audience. Sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah. you I'm Mikhailo Michele. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think one of the problems in all our political science talks is that sometimes they're very general. So. We have some pro-European people. They are sometimes uh, presented here as progressive people. Uh, for them, Europe means you know good. And then there are people who are anti. They they view as as something negative. You only you only mentioned that you would probably like to have some sort of a light federation for Europe, but you didn't actually specify what for. You know what this yeah. can help resolve and. Uh, I would like to, uh, maybe you could be a little bit more specific. What is at stake now? What are specific European orders are at risk and which, you are, uh, which of them you are trying to preserve? Because even if you are against regional institutions, regional institutions can start you know, giving you a completely opposite policy. So I would like to have a little bit more specificity to what this yeah. Europe means and the risks of losing it are. Thanks. Okay. And then we have another yeah, one. Sure. Uh, 
Hi, I'm Elena Fagotto, and my question is just to, uh, to be a little more specific, to give us the three-minute elevator speech. Uh, <laughs> why should an Italian vote for you? Because you gave a very inspiring uh, talk today, but some of your ideas are a little lofty, and you're competing with uh, people who have a very uh, you know, simplistic message and view yeah. of the world. So how do you compete with those people, and what are your like three things proposed for, for the Italian electorate? Okay, so briefly just to, uh, yeah, to share, as Cecilia suggested, um, the, the, uh, why, you know, what happens for the Italians abroad. So Italy being a country of great migration, a few years ago it was decided that Italians who live abroad should have uh, a representation in Parliament. So the Italians abroad are divided across four macro districts in the world, and each of them, proportionally to the number of uh, Italians who are resident in those districts, uh, elect a certain number of members of parliament, so the Chamber of Deputies, our lower chamber, and a certain number of senators, proportionally to that. Uh, why it is so, it's because we, we never wanted to lose as a country the connection with those people who feel strongly uh, affiliated to Italy, even if their identity is probably more uh, carved in the past than in what Italy is today. And that is where I personally think that we need to uh, to invest, uh, to make that representation of the Italians abroad um, uh, uh, different from a trade unionist type of connection, but really making of the Italians abroad part of the community like any other region, so to say. And so also that would, would go through uh, building closer bridges between the most recent uh, expatriation and migration and the one that historically have migrated. Because in that way, even a person you know, beyond you as a person who has always been keen, having a keen interest in Italy, there are people like you are, second generation, third generation, who show up and vote, but they don't speak a single word of Italian, and so on and so forth. So if we had to create a greater cohesion within the Italian community abroad, and we have mechanism of representation, I'm not going to, you know, to bore you with the uh, committees of the Italians abroad, the general co uh, commissions, and all this type of thing. So we have representation organs, that are in charge of creating that co cohesion and sense of community. But if that had to be done, there is a great opportunity not to lose the Italians who live abroad as part of the country system. We eventually are human capital, and we are the result, particularly those of the most recent migration, of a great investment the country made in us through public education. So you know, I, w I was able to become a UN diplomat without any ties and so on, because Italy, the government, made me study up until my master's degree for all, virtually for free, almost for free. So, you know, valuing that human capital through a different way of thinking of ourselves, not as the migrants who were, you know, exiled for a, for a reason of need, but as somebody who's still connected. And many countries do so, so it would not take to reinvent the wheel. Exactly. Michael, what are the, the you know, the, the, the elements, the pragmatic elements of the Light Federation? You know, I think that uh, Europe has a, a scale of engagement and cooperation, uh, has a sense to help countries address challenges that, are, uh, that, that, that go beyond the borders of a single country. So, you know, together we can definitely address the challenges related to uh, economic, when it comes to trade, when it comes to investment, when it comes to regulation of taxation of tr transnational companies and so on. You may all be aware that, you know, finally, thanks to Europe, uh, 
tech companies will start paying taxes in the country where they produce the revenue. Before, you know, all these tech companies who had branches in Europe would take legal uh, siege headquarters in, uh, in either Luxembourg or Ireland where taxation is much lower, and even all the revenue from advertisement in Italy, they would pay taxes at 20% in Ireland, while the Italian citizen pays 43% of taxes. Let's have a conversation. It's only thanks to Europe that now we are going to be able to redistribute the, the, the fiscal uh, benefit from those companies. So Europe can help at the economic level address some of those uh, drivers, driving forces that cannot be controlled by single countries. When you know, a country like Italy has a, has, a, has a public budget that is much lower than Amazon or Apple, while at the European level we can compete in terms of regulation and engagement and driving forces against even the lobbyists of that weight. In addition to the fact that Italy versus China is one thing, Europe versus China is another thing. The second area of topic is rights. We have seen how many times the European Court of Rights has called back single member states to its commitments vis-a-vis -vis the citizens when it came to the respect of civil, political, social and economic rights. When our governments forgot that, for sake of political consensus, it's thanks to the European uh, Council of Rights that citizens' interests and rights could be uh, respected and brought back into place. The third is climate change. There is no way, you know, if I pollute and the neighbor doesn't pollute, there's no point. At least as Europe, we are large enough not only to influence the global agenda, but also to influence the carbon footprint, as 28, uh, hopefully will stay 28 and more countries if the Queen changes her mind. Um, the, the, the fourth area is uh, the area of security. You know, we still run around with 28 different armies, 28 different air forces, 28 different guard, coast guards. It, it, that's ridiculous in terms of, you know, these people don't even talk to each other in the same language. And can, can we imagine how much efficiency gain we could make out of the defense budget if only we had to advance the, uh, you know, the, the agenda of... Uh, uh, of a common security when it comes to migration, the fight against terrorism, radicalization, integration. We would free up public resources to invest. So everything that, that has a transnational value, or sorry, it's a transnational challenge that can be addressed by a number of countries. There's the European Union that shares very closely a long-standing history of growing together the rights agenda, the democratic agenda, and so on, with moments of challenges. All of that is better addressed at the, at the European scale than at the national scale. Then when it comes to you know, uh, uh, primary school ed education, it's, it's better to give the, the, you know, the, the responsibility to the municipality or the region. That's why within the Maastricht Treaty, we have the principle of subsidiarity that says that services should be provided as close as possible to the citizen. And in Italy, we took that into our constitution as well. So we recognize that whatever can be dealt with locally should be dealt with locally, closer to where decisions are made. What instead has a bigger impact should, should be concretely and pragmatically dealt with at that level. Eleanor, the elevator speech, you know, I avoided it uh, to an audience that is not an Italian audience, but uh, uh, you know, the, the, there are three things we are primarily running on. The first one is the reduction of the public debt. And worldwide, journalists, analysts, the International Monetary Fund are saying that we are the only party who has a proposal to reduce the debt. Everybody else is coming up with proposals to increase the public spending. 
God knows in whose hands we are putting our future. Because the public debt is an issue of future. 132% of that on, over our GDP. Take your monthly income, think that you are 132 times indebted against that. Number one. Number two is the issue of migration. It's not a matter of us against them. It's a matter of integrating in our systems, including paying taxes, those who have been working and who are, whose employers are ready to sponsor, in order to take care of the issues of illegal migration only for those who have no right to stay in Italy. And so that in that case, you will have to repatriate uh, one million people, not five, you know, uh, sorry, uh, uh, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, not half a million people. And by the way, the legal migrants in Italy contribute to 8% of the GDP, and they are net contributor to the, to the, uh, to the public pension system, huh? because they are all younger than the average, uh, going back to demographics, Emilio was, was mentioning before. So we, even, you know, we see the benefits of those who are legal, and though we want to regularize those who are in a similar situation. With this, of course, comes the agenda of the uh, youth culture, so how to give citizenship to the children of legal migrants who have at least completed one education cycle in our country. It's not possible that your parents have been legally working in Italy for 20 years. You did primary school, secondary school, high school, eh, uh, and the university in Italy, and you, you're still a foreigner. That's, that's unacceptable to us. And the third point is around Europe. It's a matter of making sure Italy comes back into the lead of a European integration process in order to, to define the right scale of that subsidiarity principle. Which problems we addressed altogether, which problem we delegate to the closer decision-making instances in our, you know, democracies. Right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Francesco. I think we, if there is no more uh, pressing question, we're going to close here. Ah, ah, <laughs> the, last, the last question. My name is Marcus Holdo, uh, I'm from Sweden. I was very inspired as a European to hear you speak. Um, but I was hoping that you were going to say that you, one of your three points was going to be about equal opportunities that I think you spoke very well about earlier. And so I wonder what concretely would that mean for you to level the playing field, so to speak? Okay, in terms of equal opportunities, we, we are looking at, uh, we have two very concrete proposals in our, in our program. There are uh, probably uh, Italy-specific, but one goes closer to some of our Scandinavian countries' friends' examples. One is the introduction in the Constitution of the principle of intergenerational equality, that no measure that is taken with an eye to the present and that in the future is going to jeopardize the younger generations should be allowed. So that principle should contrast with the acquired rights principle. Currently, in Italy, we have... 67% of our public expenditures in going to the benefit of the, six, the people above 60 years of age who do not make 67% of the population. Why? Because some of the pensions are still paid based on a, on, their, on a salary system, on a salary scale system, but they were established when these people had a life expectancy of 62 to 64. Now that these people live 20 years older, you know, 20 years longer, longer sorry, their contribution to the pension system is totally inadequate. Now, we're not saying that these people should stop having a pension, but at least rebalancing off. No, our constitutional court said no, because we have the principle of the non-retroactivity of the law and the acquired rights. Perfect when it works. 
But when it puts a jeopardy, the future generation that is already becoming like the white fly, because young people in Italy are, or children, babies are becoming like something you have to find like a gold pepita, because yeah. nobody has children anymore. So that is definitely part of the social equality. The other point is a total reorganization of our welfare system. We, are, we have a good welfare system. The problem is that because of this political clientele, we had a multiplication of subsidies. So today, if you are a young parent who's entitled to a subsidy for uh, uh, kindergarten, you get a small check from the state, depending on the, on the, on the, on the flavor of the, of the government. Some, most of the time you do. A small check from your region, if they are progressive enough, and a small check from your municipality for exactly the same thing, paying the kindergarten. That means you have to fill three forms. You, you need three civil servants who will read that form. Today, with the new technologies, you need three platforms to apply online. Yes. And so we are talking, we have a, a clear and very articulated reorganization of, uh, of the social welfare subsidies with the introduction of a poverty income that though is meant only to accompany people in that transition up until they can run again based on the human capital that they have been, uh, the country has been investing on. So, and those are two very pragmatic measures. This poverty income has nothing to do with the five-star movement, basic social income that talks, first of all, is a, an unemployment subsidy that they call basic social income out of a total intellectual dishonesty because it's, their proposal has nothing to do with the basic social income principle. It's a, an unemployment subsidy. Well, our thing is simply about, you know, let's make welfare state cheap, more efficient in terms of the administration costs so we free up more resources to actually support people. And many measures that talk about equality at a smaller level in terms of, you know, uh, parental uh, uh, leave uh, against, you know, the very traditional Italian maternity leave because fathers only go and uh, have the breadwinners but forget about changing a diaper. That's right, there's no more children. <laughs> and so on. All right, well, thank you very much. We'll close on this uh, necessary reform of the welfare state. We'll all uh, certainly read with great interest your platform. Thank you again, Francesco. Thank you all for your questions. You've been listening to AshCast, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovations podcast. If you'd like to learn more, please visit ash.harvard.edu or follow the Ash Center on social media at Harvard Ash.